Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139? And our text this morning will be verses 13 through 16. It's probably obvious that this has something to do with our theme for Vacation Bible School, considering there's a massive sign behind me with this verse on it of verse 14. And our theme from VBS comes from verse 14. And our focus, as already mentioned, was the value of life. And we learned that our value is not intrinsic to ourselves, but we have value because we are created by God. We are made in His image. We are maintained by God. And so our value comes from something that is infinitely greater than us, which is the image of God Himself. And therefore we learned that all life, whether it is the preborn child to an elderly person nearing the end of their life, or to those with mental or physical abnormalities, they are all created in God's image and have value and deserve to be treated as such. Our statement of faith, and it's the very statement of faith that if you have become a member and joined in covenant community in this church, you, you adhere to this. You've agreed by covenant to this. Our statement of faith says this, quote, We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. We stand on that. And that is a part of the very fabric of who we are as a people in this local church. Now, it's here often that many confusedly think that because of speaking out for human life, we've crossed over from our realm of religious matters, and that's where we should just stay there, and we've crossed over into that of political because of the political division that exists, and it primarily exists in, in so many ways. This is, the, this is the flashpoint in our society today for many, is that over life. And we've seen that so evidenced over the last several weeks. But really, it's been that flashpoint for a long time. But is that true that when we speak to things of life, that the church has left its realm and moved over into another realm? Not at all. In fact, we see that all things are to be brought under the Lordship of Christ. And there's something else about this, is that our understanding of what the Bible teaches us dictates how we think about the world. And this is very much a biblical and theological issue. And as we will see, in many ways, is at the heart of the very gospel we proclaim. And so this morning, we specifically want to look, what does the Bible have to say about life when it begins and how we should view life from the beginning to the end? It is often claimed that the pro-life movement aims to take away rights and wants to legislate morality. And you cannot legislate morality. And I've been heard that so many times, which is an insane claim. There's no bit of legislation that exists that, has, that is devoid of some form of moral dimension. And you think about making that claim about murder outside of the womb. Would we say we can't 
legislate morality, but yet we clearly do. And so shouldn't we not, as Christians, look to see what does the Bible have to say about this? And is the Bible sufficient to guide us in our advanced technological society that's so scientifically uh, superior to the times of of Christ? Or does the Bible actually speak to us with clarity? And science actually confirms what it is that the Bible says. So what do we see in God's word? In Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not There was none of them. As we look at this text, I want to divide it into a couple of different areas. And the first is that God creates and designs all life beginning in the womb. Second is every person is a complex and unique creation from within the womb. Third, what is imperceptible by our observation is designed and maintained by God. And finally, God knows every human life from eternity. You'll notice in verse 13 how this state how this begins and in the picture verses 13 through 16 clearly are is David reflecting upon the 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 what takes place in the womb of the mother. And notice what he says, he begins by saying for you formed my inward parts. David has already, through this psalm, we did not read the entirety of the psalm, has spoken of God's attributes of his omnipresence, that is that God is everywhere, he is present everywhere, and David says, I cannot escape you, to God's omniscience, that that God knows everything, God knew him even in the, the womb, He has spoken of this God that is eternal. He has spoken of this God that is holy. And we could nuance various different attributes of God that are present here. But what we should note, it is that God, that covenant-keeping God, that God that is omnipresent, that is holy, that is eternal, that is omniscient, it is He that formed him in the womb. It is God that has done this. Now it says form, that is to create. It means to bring forth. And you see this in Moses' song in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, where he says this, Is, he, is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you. Speaking of God, not only is he identified as father to the Israelites in Moses' song in verse 
in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, but it is God who created, who made, and who established you. That it is God that brings forth human life. And David uses a specific term here, you formed my inward parts. Now, that can be translated roughly kidneys. You, you created my kidneys. What does that mean, though? It means that God specifically designed every single one of us, our internal organs, all of those things, according to his plan. Now, this is really incredible to think about, but every human being is like their fingerprint. They're unique to themselves. Everyone's internal organs are unique to themselves. But what he is saying here is that the human design itself is entirely dependent upon a good and holy God. Now, you just stop and marvel at the functionality of the human body and then think for a second, that happened by random chance. You have to have a lot of faith to believe that. But the Bible tells us that God created you. It is this good, holy God that is eternal, that created you according to his plan and his good will. Specifically, it says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's the speaking of embroidery. Very poetic language to demonstrate the detail and the beauty of each human life, that that it is God who weaved you together it is God that did embroidery. embroidery. You are God's embroidery, you could say. Now notice where this takes place. In my mother's womb. So this creative work of God, of human life, begins in the mother's womb. Pause. The abortion debate ends right there. When does life begin at conception? In the mother's womb. And David acknowledges this, that even in the womb, he was under the guardianship of God's creative hand. And that he was being formed by God. Life begins at conception. An end of a life in the womb is unequivocally murder. It is not a personal choice of freedom. It is a choice of premeditated murder of a life knit together by God and created in God's image. Now the Bible speaks about this very clearly, that it is God who forms life, that God is the one that knits life. We see it throughout Scripture. Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I love Jeremiah in chapter 1 for Jeremiah's call. 
where we read this in Jeremiah 1, 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And this is not our passage to exegete, but there's four points there that God makes of what takes place, or what took place in the womb of Jeremiah's mother. But you think of this astounding passage in Luke, in chapter 1, in verse 44, with Elizabeth, when Mary comes to a visit, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and it says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. When does life begin? Life begins the moment of conception. And therefore, we must place that idea of terminating the life of a baby is just exactly the same way and in the same category that we would place terminating of any life. We have to place it in the right category. And when we have a debate over the issue of abortion as Christians, we must consistently remember what it is. This text here teaches us so clearly why life is so precious and different. Because in this creation that takes place in the womb, the focus is not on the parents. There's no recognition of parents here in this mysterious act that does take place inside the womb. In fact, it's all focused upon God and the mysterious work of God taking place in in an unseen way that we cannot imagine. God uses the means of a man and a woman to bring forth a child, but it is God who gives that life. It is God who forms that life, that creates that life. And in that, you have to recognize this. The Bible then teaches us this, is the child is actually distinct from the mother. The child is distinct from the mother. What do we often hear? My body and my rights. Yes, absolutely. Which means we must apply that to the child. We must apply that to the child. And by the way, that should frame how we think of our ladies that are pregnant. They have a child with them. Whether they've given birth or not, they're already mothers. We have to think that way. We have to treat them that way. What God has designed as a blessing, man has rebelled against. And so when we see that preciousness of life in the womb and the taking of that life, We have to recognize this first and foremost. This is sin against God. And because that infant cannot speak, you and I must on their behalf. We must not be afraid to speak out on this and call it out what it is because the Bible guides us in these things and the Bible is sufficient 
to lead us in this time. One of the common things I hear at Planned Parenthood is this. This is not what God would want you to do by telling us and making us feel bad. And by the way, if, if you are, you know, we, you have all sorts of depictions of what it's like in front of a Planned Parenthood. And let me just tell you, unless you've been there and you've stood out there, uh, you, you, you can't trust what you, you necessarily see as the depiction of what Christians do out there. And it's amazing to me how many Christian organizations want to pull away from ministry out in front of a Planned Parenthood. You think about that. But they'll often say, God doesn't want you to be out here. This is not what God wants you to do. Let's just run this through our theology. God is the one who creates life. God is the one who forms that life in the womb. And destroying that is to destroy something that God has created for a purpose. So let me ask you, is it actually biblical to speak out on this issue and to speak on behalf of the unborn? Well, this is what God's Word says. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Does the Bible tell us to speak out on this issue? Yes. We are to speak out on behalf of the mute. We are to stand in the way to protect them. So what we see here is God creates, God designs all life beginning in the womb, and it is according to His design and according to His plan. And the second thing we see here in this text is every person is complex. Every person is unique. And this all begins in the womb. You'll notice in verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. I just want to pause right here and just think about this idea, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you think back to the creation account. In Genesis 1, we see why we are fearfully and wonderfully made and why mankind is so different. We see in the creation of Adam and in Eve, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Not only do you see that God has created man uniquely in his image, apart from all of creation, but that man is given dominion over creation and that man is to be fruitful. You see in chapter 2, In verse 7 of Genesis, 
Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You see that Adam was created uniquely from all of creation, and Adam's alone in the garden. This is the only time that God says, this is not good. And so, God actually teaches Adam something very crucial that we need to be taught anew today. He parades a series of animals in front of Adam. And it says this in verse 20, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found a helper fit for him. And so as God parades the animals before him and Adam is rapidly naming them, he recognizes, wait, there's no one here compatible for me. Meaning he was set apart as different. Our our society today, in many ways, is more concerned about the animal kingdom than actual people that were created in God's image. You see, Adam was created in God's image. He was commanded to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion over the earth. And that is so that God's image would be spread throughout all of the world. Now we know that that image is fallen because of the fall. But that image of God is restored in Christ, and Christ then repeats that same command when he says, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all that I have taught you. Jesus gives us the same command that we are to spread that image of God. And there's something that's so interesting as we look at this passage here in verse 14 and the wonder of life and that man is set apart, that man is different. It is a cause for praise. Notice what it starts off with. I praise you for this. I praise you. You consider God's creative works. In fact, he ends up saying that, is that wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well, he says. In other words, creation itself demands praise. What do we see in Psalm 19? The heavens declare your glory. But so does the creation of every single person, the birth of every child is a means of praise for God's perfect design of a human being. In other words, our created substance of who we are and and the wonder of the human body that God put it together the way He did and that it functions is a means of wonder and praise for God. Now just imagine how different things would actually be if we marveled at God's creation, which is to be a theater for His glory. 
and we praised him. Yet how do we oftentimes view people? And specifically, how is it that so often today in our society, the unborn are viewed? Inconvenience? A hassle? I remember when Stephanie was first pregnant, even Christian people would come to me and say words like, oh, boy, it's going to be rough. I feel sorry for you. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's going to be rough for me that we have a child coming into the world. What kind of backwards thinking is that? It's not Christian thinking. Yeah, it's tough. But it's also glorious. It's wonderful. It's a means of praise. But this also indicates purpose. I praise you, he says. Which means this. Our peculiarities are not something for which we should blame God or see as a handicap, but rather recognize that God has a purpose for which we were created that was determined before time began and realized even in the womb. So rather than being sad that I'm not 6'7 and got to play in the NBA, I should thank the Lord for how He created me according to His purposes and according to His giftedness for the kingdom that He saw fit to put me in. And God designed that. And that was realized in the womb before time even began. But you consider the thinking of our secular society. Let me give you an example in Iceland from CBS News, August 15, 2017. Quote, Since prenatal screening tests were introduced in Iceland in the early 2000s, the vast majority of women, close to 100%, who received a positive test for Down syndrome terminated their pregnancy. Our society is determined what is considered valuable. And if it doesn't meet our criteria, then we've said, well, that life is no longer valuable. This should be a cause for mourning and weeping in our society and for pleading with people to see the value of life, not based upon our perception or whether we're going to be inconvenienced. Because this is an affront to God, and it's an affront to God's perfect design. Value has not been determined by convenience, but value is determined by God. God even designs every aspect of us, including our gender in the womb. Job 3.3 Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, A man is conceived. It's so sad when humanity today looks at the Creator and says, You who are holy, omnipotent, omniscient, you messed up in making me the way you made me. We see here what is imperceptible in verse 15 by our observation, is designed 
and maintained by God. Notice verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And so being made is that labor or work to produce something. And so from the viewpoint, this speaks of the progression that takes place in the forming of a baby in the womb. And it comes back to the design by God according to his perfect will. And you can read about the progression of the baby within the womb. And if you've ever gone to those, those checkups with the sonogram, and you see a heartbeat, and the lungs are being formed. It's amazing what we can see now. That God is doing and forming in a progressive state inside that womb. And this speaks of something that was unseen when David writes that it was in the depths of the earth. And that, that is that picture of the womb, meaning David could not see it. David could not see what was taking place within the womb, but he knows that in the womb, God is designing this child. Now, it's amazing what can be seen in the womb today versus the past, right? Right? During David's time, they, they couldn't, but they knew by God's word that this was life. And now a lot of people are saying today that if you look at the, what we could see in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was, was passed versus today, they would have never made that decision. This shows us the necessity of Scripture to guide our worldview always. Because Scripture has always been clear about it and didn't need a sonogram to show us what was taking place in the womb. Scripture tells us from the moment of conception, God is designing this human life for His praise and for His glory according to His purpose. We didn't need a picture of that. Now praise God that we have it now that confirms or affirms rather what God's Word already and plainly tells us about life. This is why, by the way, there were laws about the loss of a preborn child in the Bible. In Exodus, in chapter 21, I think it's important we read this text. In verse 22 of chapter 21 of Exodus, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be surely fined, as the woman's husband shall oppose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. In fact, the, the, the judicial aspect of God's law in terms of the sixth commandment was applied to the unborn child, as well as our 14th Amendment should be, that there is equal protection under the law for all human life. Because God has protected, by means of His law, the child. You know, in New York, there used to be a law in New York that if a woman that was was pregnant, was murdered, you, it would be a double homicide. They've changed that law, by the way. 
They've thrown the restraints of God's law off of our society. And that is God's judgment upon our society. When we have disregarded human life, and we're doing that, if we do that at, for the preborn, guess what? That will continue to manifest itself against all stages of life. When you look at the horrific revelations of what took place in World War II under Adolf Hitler and the experimentation and the wiping out of human lives that did not match what he perceived as that Aryan race, you think, how horrific! What are we doing? When you're past a certain age as a as a woman, and you go in for those weekly or monthly tests, they're checking to make sure your child doesn't have Down syndrome, because if he does, or he, she, he or she does, then you might have that option to abort that child, because you wouldn't want to bring in that child to this earth. That's what the doctors tell the parents. We were told that. Well, we, we just embraced Hitler's ideology as a society. We need to hear it frankly like that. Because again, we go back to what abortion is. It is murder. Finally, we see this, is that God knows every human life from eternity. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That unformed substance, by the word, is the Hebrew word for embryo. Amazing. This unformed substance is the embryo. And that God himself had saw this, that God himself had written this in his book before time began. In your book they were written. This is speaking of God's eternal decree. Spurgeon writes this, quote, God saw us when we could not be seen, and he wrote about us when there was nothing of us to write about, when as yet there was none of our members in existence. All those members were before the eye of God in the sketchbook of his foreknowledge and predestination. Your life matters. Your life counts. Your life has value, and you deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Because God designed you, and God knew of you before you were even formed. This speaks of a predetermined course of life. Notice what it says. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has sovereignly knows and sovereignly decreed all things. There's nothing about life that catches God by surprise. Because He Himself has designed it according to His perfect, holy design. And so there's no aspect or no stage of life that is not according to God's perfect plan. And for David, David authored this. This is, this is the word of God that, that is given through the pen of David. 
For David, and we have to remember in the context, David's reflecting on his own life. As God brought David forth, he was given this in, in such a way a, a unique purpose in life. And David truly was, other than Christ, one of the most unique individuals because it's through David that the Messiah comes. But if you think about this and search out Scripture, this uniqueness of David, you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve have sinned and God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, childbirth is to be the means of God's plan of redemption. We can't forget that. And specifically, this is pointing to the Messiah. But this happens through this line of David, as we read in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. You have that promise of through the woman will come the seed, and then you see this, we find out the tribe from which that seed will come. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is speaking of directly of David. And as you continue to go through the Old Testament and see this unfolding history of God's promise of bringing forth a seed, you see this beautiful picture in the book of Ruth. In chapter 4, verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. Who gave her conception? The Lord. And she bore a son, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. The Lord is the one who is blessed for the pregnancy. And who is this Redeemer? It's not Boaz, who was the kinsman Redeemer. The text tells us who this Redeemer is. Listen, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He, that is this Redeemer, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. This one that was given, she had given birth to, Ruth had given birth to, Naomi is told, it is him who is that Redeemer. Now notice what it says. Then Naomi took the child and laid him up on her lap and became a nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood, women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. The Redeemer in the text is the child, Obed. Why is Obed the Redeemer? He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, through which the line is established for the Messiah to come. David would be the restorer and the redeemer to Israel. And this was all planned by God. And so so David could clearly say, I, I praise you, I was wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made. 
You, you knew me, you planned all my days, and we can see how God did that from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through, all of redemption, till the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. This was all planned by God, but the one thing about David that we have to consider is that David could not bring true redemption, could he? David could not be a true redeemer, because David was sinful. In fact, David's sin cost the life of his own child. But David would have a greater son who would be a redeemer, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was brought forth into this world through a womb, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And here, we must pause and meditate upon this and reflect on why abortion is such an affront to God. Because the very means that God uses to bring about redemption of mankind comes through the womb. Let that sit in for a second. You see, Satan hates childbirth. Satan hates babies. Satan hates that we care for babies. Why? Because every childbirth is a reminder of his impending doom. So of course he would influence people and influence this upon people. He always has. That's why you read in Leviticus that you're not to sacrifice your children to Moloch and the apostasy of the kings that actually did so. This is why Herod murders the children. Because Satan hates childbirth. And so listen to me carefully. Every child born is a reminder to us that God has chosen birth through the womb of a mother as his means to bring about redemption. And Satan hates every child born because it is a reminder of his defeat. And therefore, when we look at pregnancy itself, yes, we praise God for the life that is brought forth, but there's a greater picture. Every pregnant person we see is a reminder that we have a covenant-keeping God that keeps His promises of redemption. Every childbirth reminds us that our God keeps His promises. That He will bring forth His seed to save a people. This is why we see verse 14. I will praise you. Childbirth is a matter of praise. It's a matter of rejoicing. It's a matter of praising God. Now here is the beauty of this reminder of childbirth is one other thing. And we can't miss this. We have all fallen short of God's glory. There is not one righteous. Whether it's the one who, who has aborted a child, to those who have just simply told a lie. All sin, while not equal, all sin equally separates us from God. 
And because of that, all sin is forgivable in Christ. And because of that child being birthed, that Satan tried to kill, and because of that amazing testimony of childbirth that we have, specifically of the childbirth that took place in Bethlehem, we can say this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because a mother was pregnant and brought forth a child. Our message is a message that speaks for life physically and eternally. And so this morning, may the Lord grant us grace and grant us voices to speak on behalf of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy to us and the salvation that we have available in Christ. We thank you that there is no longer condemnation for those that are in Christ and that we can stand in your sight forgiven, considered just and righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Father, we praise you for children. We praise you for the elderly. We praise you for your design in human life, that your word declares it was designed by you. You deserve all the praise and glory. Now we pray your grace, Father, that we would be courageous during this time to speak on behalf of life. But we pray that, Father, we would not hesitate to share the truth of eternal life in Christ Jesus as being the only means of forgiveness. And, Father, while we are speaking to save physical life, our message is also a message of sharing eternal life. So we ask your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.